Hey everyone, welcome to episode 31 of the Defend Your Ground podcast from Blue Ribbon Coalition. This is Ben Burr, the Executive Director. I'm here with Simone Griffin, our Policy Director. And this week we want to talk about e-bikes. This is a recreation use that has been increasing probably exponentially on all public lands. And uh, it's a use that's a lot of people are getting into it. It kind of reminds me of when I started snowboarding as a teenager and the attitudes that existed among the skiers and the people had been doing downhill snow sports for a long time. And who's this newcomer that's coming in? And now it's just common. Snowboards are everywhere except for Alta, I think. And it's they're just allowed. They're a huge industry. And I think e-bikes will probably be the same way, but we're kind of going through that transition phase where people are trying to figure out what to do with them uh, because they're motorized they get an additional form of scrutiny that doesn't always come along with a new type of recreation use and so Simone I mean this isn't we, we, we're going to talk about a National Park Service rule that's out for proposal they're they're collecting public feedback now uh, but we've done more on e-bikes in the past and people have asked us do we work on this issue and I my answer has been that generally yes, because we work on all kinds of recreation, but we take it as it comes, uh, and we're trying to influence what we can. So why don't you talk a little bit about what you've seen to set the stage of what's going on with e-bikes on public land, and then we'll talk about where we think this is going and what what the National Park Service is doing. So why don't you give yeah. us a rundown? So, I mean, generally speaking, most resource management plans, travel management plans, they do have elements of non-motorized trails, mountain bike trail systems. And so even if it's not a plan for e-bikes specifically, I do always put in that we encourage planners to include e-bikes on mountain biking trails. Um, So generally speaking, I'm putting that into comments when we're participating in these NEPA projects. There's been in the last two years, you know, several specific e-bike projects though. We've seen some in Fruta, Colorado, several in, especially in Western Colorado, there's been a lot of e-bike attention and there's, there's some groups there that I've worked with that they're working hard too with their, you know, city and local governments to allow um, primarily class one e-bikes, but but e-bikes on these mountain biking trails. There's a big group of e-bikers in that area in Colorado, in Utah, southern Utah. There's been uh, several mountain biking plans, and they're looking to expand mountain bike trails. And so I always make sure to include that e-bikes should be allowed on those trails. Oftentimes, people who are riding an e-bike, they're not going any faster. Um, The biggest thing that I see in these plans, oh, another one too, just so people are aware, um, Arkansas, the National Forests in Arkansas, they did a big plan to consider e-bike use uh, on their national forests. And so obviously we advocated for the use of e-bikes on those lands. But the biggest reason I see as I'm doing these is they're worried about the displacement of soil. Um, And I don't there's not sufficient evidence to show that e-bikes displace soil any more than just a human mechanized bike does. I mean, I like to run. I run on public lands a lot and I will run with my sisters sometimes who they take pre-workout and they 
probably are running faster than me. And so are they displacing more dirt than me? I don't know. But at what point do we say that anything that enhances you isn't allowed on public lands because, you know, you could say some caffeine enhances your running so that you're running faster and displacing more soil. I mean, it's just this whole idea of e-bikes just provide some assist, not even all the time, um, to allow people to, that maybe otherwise couldn't and access some of those areas. So that's the biggest thing that I see though. It's they're worried about the displacement of soil. Okay. Um, as someone who's just started getting into e-biking and, and to be honest, yeah, you're a resident expert now. Yeah. I'm an expert because I've done it a few times (laughs) and I've mountain biked my whole life and I don't see much of a difference The and to be fair, and I do believe that e-bikes do increase the ability level for people who otherwise might not do that form of recreation. Which is a great thing that they have that option. Yeah, and the National Park Service is recognizing that, which I think is enlightened and an important part of the discussion. But just as someone who likes regular mountain biking and is doing e-biking, it's just fun. It is it is enjoyable. I like it. I still get a workout. It's there's a different element to it. That it's the to, I play both acoustic and electric guitar. I like them both. They're both fun. It, and so why not have both? I think there's enough land out there for all of it. I think if you were hard pressed to really come up with a quantifiable definable impact that e-bikes are causing some kind of environmental impact that other bikes don't you'd be hard pressed to prove it and people have tried i have yet to see the studies Uh, there is a speed element where it's easier to maintain a higher level of speed over a period of time but we don't regulate speed limits on roads by determining what engine sizes are allowable on roads. I mean, we could say, well, we can only have four cylinder engines with governors and then we've boom, we've enforced a speed limit. We don't do that. We allow all kinds of different engine types and uh, horsepower and things to exist on roads. And then we have speed limits and you just don't go over the speed limit. And so we already have regulatory tools to manage impacts that are not just inherent with e-bike use, but could be part of allowing bicycle use on trails to begin with, especially shared trails that are shared with hikers and horses. You, there's courtesy rules of who gives right-of-ways to who. Speed limits should probably be managed or speed. There should be safe speed regulations. I mean, those and are all things that are manageable. Lines, I mean, a lot of the e-biking community it's not like it's this young, reckless, irresponsible community. I mean, a lot of these people, not to say you're old, Ben, but are a little bit... Well. <laughs> <laughs> they're older, the the general e-bike user. And so it's not like they're just out there trying to be wild and crazy. I mean, they're responsible users and we're not seeing damage and vandalism from this community. Yeah, it seems like the best arguments against e-bikes are if you adhere to what I call a purity culture, where you think one form of recreation use is superior to others, and then and it's a subjective and arbitrary belief, and you're free to believe that in this country. I don't think you should be free to enact that into federal government policy. And if it's public land, it should be open for the maximum amount of beneficial public use. 
and that that public benefit should be made available to as many people as possible. And so I don't believe there's a really strong place for purity cultures in public land-based recreation. If, if it's funny, I mean, if people, if you want to make fun of e-bike users on social media, great. Like have the debate. If it's like when side-by-side owners, Polaris and Can-Am people fight with each other, whatever. Like if you want to have that be a cultural thing, that's fine. But But, if you haven't rode an e-bike, I mean, it is fun. It is, it takes you back to when you were a kid riding around on your bike i mean it is uh, fun wait till you get to your midlife crisis simone and... <laughs> <laughs> um and so the reason why i think we've had a lot of activity in colorado is is because there's a lot of blm land there the blm's been kind of proactive in defining where they'll allow e-bikes and they've been generally more permissive than most of the any other agencies if you're looking at bike trails on blm land more likely than not that's where you will find trails that are recognizing that e-bikes are explicitly allowed the forest service has gone and basically said e-bikes are allowed wherever other motorized vehicles are allowed but not on mountain bike trails and so now you have some of the best biking trails in our public land system are on forest service land just period. They are. And the Forest Service is saying e-bike users can't use mountain bikes on, or e-bikes on these mountain bike trails, unless they've gone and on a case-by-case basis allowed for it, which is happening at kind of a snail's pace, but it's happening. And so if you're e-biking on Forest Service land, it's kind of a gray area. It it really is going to depend on the trail. It's going to depend on the district office that you're in. But the general rule across the forest is they are all allowed wherever you can ride a side-by-side or a dirt bike or anything else with a motor. But on a non-motorized trail, it's really, who knows? You have to do some research and find out. Uh, The apps will sometimes tell you. Sometimes they won't tell you the correct information. And so I think that the Forest Service needs to probably become more enlightened like the BLM and kind of transition quickly into this space where e-bikes are allowed on the mountain bike trails because I don't think they cause any more impact than the mountain bikes do. I do think you have a, another purity culture that comes from the environmental movement where they're just categorically opposed to a motor, period. And they look at that the little electric motor that's in an e-bike and say, that's enough. And this is now as big of a problem on public land as a logging truck and they and so this shouldn't be allowed you have funding considerations where sometimes trail money has gone from grants and funding sources to trails that have been classified as non-motorized and so you're getting this purest like by the book definition saying well this month this trail was funded for this and so in order to continue maintaining the trail or whatever it has to stay non-motorized that sounds to me like a clerical error in a law somewhere that needs to be fixed, that e-bikes should be allowed on mountain bike trails. So that takes us to the National Park Service. Uh, They tried to get out ahead of this back during the Trump administration. They released a rule in 2019, and it basically said their problem was we don't really have a definition for e-bikes. We don't have any way to regulate them or which was probably smart from the for them from the beginning because e-bikes were so new technology i mean it's even still so new there's you know developing technologies right now that i think even e-bikes 
that we see now, they're going to change so much in the next five years. I mean, it's really hard to manage something that's still developing. Yeah. And so I think they were trying to be proactive and innovative with the times. And they were probably also reacting to what was happening on the ground, which I'm sure the public was showing up with e-bikes. And you have all these recreation-based communities in, in the gateway towns around the national parks that probably started having people renting them. You had concession contractors that wanted to use them within the parks. So there was probably a grassroots request to say, hey, we want to use these. Are they allowed? And they probably looked at that and said, you know, they, like any reasonable person, they probably looked at this and said, oh, this looks like this looks about to be the same as a mountain bike. It's having the same impact. It's cause it let's, but let's define them. Let's create some rules around them and then let's allow them. And that's what they did. And what they essentially said was an e-bike can be allowed anywhere where any other motorized vehicles are allowed. So roads, parking lots, things like that, where you can drive another car or a truck or a motorcycle or anything else into public land or into the national park service, you could do an e-bike. And then they said where there are trails where bicycles are allowed, park managers can also allow e-bikes on a case-by-case basis within each separate park unit. And so it wasn't a blanket authorization across every potential bike path on national parks. And there isn't a lot of aggressive biking trails in national parks. If you go to Zion National Park, for instance, you can bike on the road and then they have one paved trail that's kind of like a river walk where you can bike. You're not biking up Angel's Landing, period. That's not ever going to change. You go to Canyonlands, they do have the White Rim Trail that goes, and that's a bike packing trail. It's 100 miles, and people go make that into a full event and spend a few days bike packing that trail. But that's also a trail that's used by Jeeps and dirt bikes and other off road vehicles. And so that's easy. It's always going to be allowed for e biking and, and mountain biking. Everybody's using that White Rim Trail. And so it's not like there's this overabundance of well-developed single-track mountain bike trails in our national parks that we should be excluding e-bikes from. And so I think they looked at this very reasonably and said, let's allow them that most most access into our national parks is accessed by motorized vehicles anyway. Uh, we, they can define and regulate which trails are, are human-powered or horse-powered or whatever. And and then a case-by-case basis. And so they that's what they did. They did it through a categorical exclusion, and so that means they didn't. They the Park Service said we don't have to do extensive environmental review on this. And usually, when they're doing a categorical exclusion, the premise behind that is it's because we've already analyzed a comparable impact. And so to say, look, we've analyzed this trail for mountain bikes and for horses and for cars and for trucks and we found that it's fine we're just allowing this other use that isn't causing any more impact than these other uses we've already extensively analyzed that's where your categorical exclusion comes in and says we're just adding a new thing in for something that's already been analyzed and it's not adding a whole lot of new dimension to the question and peer public employees for environmental responsibility sued them basically saying the categorical exclusion wasn't the appropriate it wasn't sufficient. Yeah, it wasn't enough. And so it was a process-based lawsuit that says you didn't follow the process correctly. Uh, you had this group was kind of, and among others, was challenging every proactive decision the Trump administration was passing at the time. And so they went and challenged this. The court agreed with them. 
The court said that the Park Service could keep the existing rule in place, but that they needed to go back and do a more thorough environmental analysis. And so that's what they're currently doing. So it is still um, lawful to ride an e-bike in a national park according to each park's individual rules uh, until this rule is done. And this rule has basically lined up two choices. They're either going to repeal what they did in 2019 and go back to the pre-e-bike era where they have no definition for e-bike. If you were to say, can I ride an e-bike in this national park, the service would basically say, we don't know. And so therefore you probably shouldn't. They might be able, they might say, look on a road or where cars and motorcycles are, you can. But any other kind of unique uses where they're used outside of where most of the heavy traffic is, you'd probably see them err on the side of, we don't know. So the answer is no. And the other option is that they want to formally adopt through the proper process, according to the court, this new regulation, which defines e-bikes and then allows them on the case by case basis within each individual park. And so what you'll probably see our superintendents updating their compendiums for each park to define where they can and can't allow e-bikes, which seems reasonable. Um, so this is, oh, when does this comment period end, Simone? The 21st, July which 21st. Is, which would be tomorrow. Um, and so we've been pushing this already on social media. So if you're coming late to it, we apologize. But this is... Hopefully the Park Service, everyone agrees that they get it right this time and we can just move on. But we wanted to engage on it because it kind of helps show and highlight the contours around the e-bike discussion because we think it will be ongoing. I think it will be ongoing until they get to the point where they're ubiquitous like snowboards are on ski slopes and everyone just is like, yep, that's the e-bikers. They're doing their thing. We're doing our thing. But right now we're going through the the different purity cultures deciding if this is going to be okay. I, the environmental just concerns seem to be almost non-existent. The safety concerns are manageable, but just need to be addressed through management. And hopefully that's how this all plays out. So we'll, if you, if you keep, if you hear of new e-bike regulations or rules, whether they're local or state or federal, uh, send them our way. We want to analyze them and add our voice to those. We think that they're, an important new use. It's going to be a growing demographic, and we hope the folks that ride e-bikes see BRC as an ally and an organization that is in the group of organizations that they would support as someone who's trying to make e-bike use more widespread and acceptable on our public lands. So, Simone, if people want to make a comment on this, why don't you tell us about the, the fun that is trying to get a comment to the National Park Service and what we're doing to help? Yeah, they're fun. Uh, so they make it a little bit harder. You have to go to the National Park Service website and you have to submit it directly through their form. Uh, you can't write a comment through like a Word doc and upload it. You have to submit it right into their form to submit a comment. However, to make it easy for people, we have a letter encouraging um, this rule to allow e-bike use uh, in national parks that you can sign and we will be submitting this letter with all the people individuals organizations businesses um, during this comment period so sign the letter and then if you want to add an additional comment you'll need to go through the national park service website yeah so we encourage you to do both i would categorize what we're doing as a petition is sort of what you do when they don't accept the form comments and so 
we would include your name as a petition signer on our comment that we've prepared that if you agree with what we're, our position is, which we've just discussed on this episode, add your name to it just to show that there's some strength in numbers. But take five minutes and go tell the Park Service what you think, too. There, We'll have a link in the show notes where you can do all of this. We have a post on our website about it, and we hope you'll do that. And if you get into e-biking and want to listen, may, maybe, maybe we'll see you out on the trail. And <laughs> we should do a sweepstakes. You can enter to go e-biking with Executive Director Ben Burr. <laughs> yeah, B-Y-O-E-B. um yeah that'd be fun it's fun like trust me it's fun even if you are a purist the quickest way to get to know the other side of the argument is to go do it and i did it and i'm a huge fan so i I think there's enough room in this world for both e-bikes and mountain bikes and i will be doing both so okay well if you haven't subscribed yet to the defend your ground podcast we invite you to do that Uh, we do want you to go make your comments to the park service and we will uh, see you next week